Fridays with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw, and that would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And we have got the three-time former NWA Florida heavyweight champion, the five-time, five-time, five-time WWE tag team champion, George Tragos, Luthes, Hall of Fame member 2022, pay your taxes, one of the greatest characters and one of the greatest guys in the history of this business, Mr. Wall Street, Mr. IRS, Mike Rotunda. How you doing, Mike? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be here, and uh, I'm excited because tax, tax season's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks right. so much, man. Uh, you know, how appropriate you are on this week, you know, and uh, we're, our lazy society had, had the government push their tax return back a few days. That, that had to kind of irritate you, you know, because I know you're a routine guy, but you know, uh, what, what a character you played, Michael. And you and I, you know, I'm really privileged. And I like saying I use the word privilege with you because you're a great friend. We go way, way back. I didn't realize you had just started in a business in Carolina was basically your first territories you came to in the States when you came in there. John, I want to tell you this guy, you know, when we went up there, you know, you you kind of gravitate to your, to your own. You know, we knew Mike was a, was a wrestler from Syracuse and everything. So, Jack and I became friends with him right away because we wanted his protection, big, big old trapping boy there. <laughs> so uh, we, we became friends right away. I think Mike even allowed me to, uh, allowed me to spend a night in his apartment a few nights. And I think he regrets that even to this day. <laughs> uh, what a fun guy we had. And then what a history this guy has and goes way back to the collegiate days. And, I think you were even in the same bracket at the NCAA tournament as, as one of John and I, dear friend, Dr. Def Steve Williams was in back in the old NCAA day. Tell us a little bit about Mike Rotunda. And I was telling the John a story earlier. I don't think it was John. It was that, that, that funny guy, Taylor Williamson, the story a little bit earlier. You look a lot alike. Yeah, you guys do look at the same body too. You know? <laughs> but anyway, uh, Back in your 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 teenage years, day you competed in in a national contest called the punt pass and kick contest, I believe it was, wasn't it? And you 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 you, you actually uh, performed at uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer uh, NFC Championship game here in Tampa, I believe. No, it wasn't in Tampa. Actually, that I was eight years old, and uh, I won the punt pass and went to the semifinals. So I uh, competed. And at halftime of uh, two pro games, it was the Eagles, Steelers, and I won there. So then I went to the Cotton Bowl and competed. Uh, it was Dallas and the Redskins. And there is like 15 kids left in uh, each two different parts of the country. So we competed before the game and I beat everybody. Then they said, well, you the, the runner up and the winner go again at halftime. And I lost by three feet. Um, I, I had a slipped up on a kickoff and the kid that ended up winning it went to the Super Bowl was the next stop and he won it. Wow. And then I went, I went again when I was like 12 and competed at two more pro games. That was the semifinals. I never made it past the semis, but the, it was great because Ford used to take your family and fly everybody out, put you up at a hotel. Uh, you went out to dinner the night before the game. They had pro ball players there. It was a great experience, especially being eight years old and doing something like that. And I was about 160 pounds. I was about 
bigger around than I was tall and, and just, you know, and, but my dad showed me how to do it, punt, pass and kick. And my gym teacher gave me a ball to take home. That's all I did when I got out of school, I'm back and forth. So what what was your specialty? Was it the punting or the passing or the kicking? What, what, what I was pretty good at all three. I could at one time throw a football, probably 65 yards. You know, when I got older, I could kick off and hit the end zone. Uh, I kicked field goals and stuff in high school and kicked off. And uh, I also was a punter at certain stages. So, I, you know, wow. just practicing and over and over, you, you got better at it. So You were just one of those athletes that, that could do anything on a football field. Well, folks, this, this guy here, he, he was played high-level football. He played for the University of Syracuse when Syracuse was winning a, some games there and also competed in a, a different sport, uh, wrestling at the same time, which is very – a lot of people don't know how difficult that is uh, to be a two-sport uh, guy and, and maintain your grades, which you were able to do, which shocks me. <laughs> yeah, really shocks me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was, uh, I was lucky because really, if I hadn't have gone to Syracuse, I probably would have never gotten the wrestling business. Uh, my recruiter was Tom Coughlin, who was, you know, former New York Giants and the Jaguars coach. He recruited my area in upstate New York. And I went there um, and just on a football scholarship. And they also kind of recruited me to wrestle, but I, I said, when I got there, I'm just going to play football. So I kept running into this guy that was at the state tournament, John Janiak. He was a two-time All-American for Syracuse. And they kept seeing me. He told, just come down and roll around with our heavyweight. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. I see him on campus almost every other day. So finally I said, okay. It was before we started winter workouts for football. So I went down and the heavyweight, was a fifth year senior and he was also a football player but I started rolling around and you know we had scrimmage and stuff and I told Jenny I think I can beat this guy and he goes challenge him to a wrestler and I said all right and so I did I pinned him and he quit so they go you want they go you want to go to Florida over Christmas break and I said hell yeah so that's how I started wrestling and it was great we had a ball and and uh it it's just how it worked out. And then later um, at a wrestling banquet, I played, I played with some great players, Art Monk, Joe Morris, Craig Wolfley, Jim Collins. And we had good teams, but we didn't really win a lot because we had shitty coaches. So <laughs> it was like, it was an experience though, because once I did the wrestling, uh, at a wrestling banquet, I met Dick Byer, the destroyer, and he came up to me after the banquet and he goes, you, have, you ever think about getting into pro wrestling, kid? And I said, no, I don't know anything about it because back those days, WWE showed in my area, but it didn't show till like 11, 1130 at night, like on a Friday night. So I just wasn't aware of it. So he goes, well, start watching the TV. So I did. And he finally took me to Germany. And that was the first place I ever got in a ring. And I stayed there four months. And Dick left after two weeks and goes, I'll see you at Christmas, kid. And wow. I was like, okay. <laughs> he, left you. he just left you there. Yeah, he had booked a Japanese guy, Masao Ito, because Dick had you know st strong ties with uh, Baba's office oh, over yeah. there. 
So, so, so he, you just got your training on the job training. You were throwing yeah, out a bunch of Germans that, that you, I'm sure you didn't speak the language and they, they no. didn't speak much English. So you, you had to fend you right out of college. You had to kind of fend for yourself right away. Yeah, it was there. They had a few Americans there. Dick Murdoch was there, Brad Rangans. Wow. Uh, well, you got some good education. There. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had my second match with Dick Murdoch and he threw me through the ropes and I got all tangled up. I'd never taken that bump. So I, he rolls out and he's going, God damn it. And he picks up the chair, bam, right over my head. And I go, I can Welcome feel my, to the business. Yeah, man. I could feel my toes tingling. So that's how I started, you know. And then, you know, like you said, I hadn't been in the business very long when I met Jerry. That, that was like my second, first territory in the States. So, you know, they, they razzed me hard, brother. <laughs> we did, man. You put out. We're thankful you put up with it, John. We, you know how we could get. I mean, uh, no, and, no, and, no. And, I've and never seen my brother. You no, had I've my brother. You had my brother to the mix, and everybody thinks Jack was this quiet, laid back guy. Mike, oh. he had a different side of him. Didn't he, he had a mean streak, that's for sure. <laughs> they tor they tortured me, brother. <laughs> So but when I you went to it. Germany, did, did you had you trained at all? Did you just go over there with uh, the destroyer? never been in the ring? <laughs> and you flew over to Germany to train with him or to see it or to well, what? Dick, I I called Dick because Dick had me coming back and forth. I had an old pickup truck, a flatbed, and Dick had just left uh, Japan and moved back to Buffalo area, and he bought three little farmhouses there, and he wanted to see which one he wanted to stay in. So I'd go up and. He was Mr. Miyagi me. So I'd go up and load the furniture up. He lived in that one a month over the summer and then moved to the next one, moved to the next one. And he had a lot of stuff. His basement was full of all this stuff he acquired around the world, different countries. So finally I go, Dick, I said, I need to go find a job. And I was bouncing on the side. I said, I need to go find a job or get wrestling. And he goes, okay. He goes, I'll take you with me to Germany. So we trained for two weeks. Dick called the promoter down and we had a, my first like practice match in front of somebody and the promoter, uh, Nicole Selinkovich said, okay, I'll keep him for the rest of the tour, which was a four month tour. I'll pay him 400 bucks a week. And that's how I started. And that was the end of the two weeks. I had my first match with Dick and he was supposed to beat me. Because he was coming back at the end of the uh, tour after the four months of their big show in Bremen. So Dick went Broadway with me. <laughs> so <laughs> an old an old trick, you know, from an uh, uh, old time. So. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that, that's where I started. In that time, the you would work the other arm, not even the right arm. So when I got back to the States, it was like learning everything all over. But I you, did you do that. rounds over there also? Yes, yes. And they used to bet, you know, they would you, you work the thing and and a guy would get heat on you and then they'd throw bets down and then they would split it with the referee. So it was a great experience, you know. I I you did didn't have referee, to travel. Did the referee ever find you? Did they have to work. Yeah, oh yeah, they did all kinds of stuff, man. Jerry, but, the referee was was in on it. And he would find the 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 say the good guy say the bad guy first, okay? Right. Which nobody would pay the bad guy. But then he would find the good guy would retaliate, and he would find the good guy like a lot of money. Well, some fan would come up and pay the fine, 
the boys would take it back in the back and split it. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And I remember like like the arenas there, people smoked like crazy and drank beer, and you couldn't even breathe. It was like the old fog uh, boxing look, you know, yeah. where you couldn't even breathe. There was so many cigarette smoking going on in there. So that's, what a, lot of, that's what a lot of people don't realize now. Back back in those days, I mean, even here in the states, you know, you go into these armories and places like that. People drinking and most of all smoking. Every every everybody, you know, you're at an athletic event. It seemed like everybody in the world wanted to smoke, even if you didn't smoke. You'd look out, you know, from the uh, from the dressing room. All you'd see is a cloud of smoke. Over. Yeah. And down here in Florida, especially uh, the buildings were in air conditioned, so oh, you'd yeah. have to go out there. And you know, of course, the matches down here were 45 minutes to an hour, no matter what right. match you were on. So you're out there, and all these people, you're breathing that hot, humid air. And that cloud of smoke right on top of yeah. it. Man, it was tough. <laughs> yeah, it was. Some of those buildings were bad. So, but it was so a great. Experience. Was uh, was Otto Vance there uh, when you were there? Otto was the Nicole Swinkovich's champion, and yes, he was on the tour. And then after that tour was over, Otto Vance ran his own deal in like Vienna. Yep. So, and then eventually Nicole Swinkovich went out of business, and Otto ran it for quite a few years after that. But yeah, I, one time auto, um, they, I went to with him and his Mercedes and, you know, he's like 400 pounds driving 95 miles an hour in a Mercedes. So him and I went to this tennis club to pay, to play tennis against these, the, the, the pros, you know, young, they were young, but they're pros coming up in the school. So if you can imagine that site, him and I playing tennis against these guys, we got waxed, but we had fun. So. <laughs> I, I rode with Otto a couple times. He drove uh, faster than any human being I've ever seen. Yeah, and didn't pay attention. He's like looking around. No, didn't pay attention at all. He 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 would talk to you. He'd look around. You were like, dude, you're going a hundred miles an hour. Right. Please. Watch. Back then, back then though, the autobahn was a lot less traffic, you know, than it is this day and age. I couldn't imagine trying to ride. You know, there wasn't as many cars and stuff. But yeah, I remember he had a big Mercedes, and he was like. Zoom. We we he, probably, he, was the, he was the German Harley race as far as driving. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike, something that I, I want to ask you about. You know, you coming out of college, you, you get the reputation of shooter. You over there with Dick Byers, who had the same reputation, tough guy. I mean, you, and then he leaves this kid by himself over there without without Big Brother looking. Did you ever have any of those old pros that kind of take in? Come on, kid, I'll see what you got and and shoot. Yeah. I remember uh, Bill White. He was kind of, I don't know if you guys remember him, had curly blonde hair. A guy from Charlotte or Carolina? I think he was. He yeah. was kind of testy with me. Yeah, so he, every once in a while, you had to you had to stand up for yourself for sure, you know. And Bayer warned me about that, too. You know, and he said, hey, if some guy tries to take advantage of you, he said, just let him know, you know. And after you do that, They'll test you, but if you let them know, it's okay. Don't do it again. So Hodge, yes. is, well, Hodge is the one that brightened us up on that too. Uh, yeah. Jack and I both don't let these guys out wrestle. That's your gimmick. So Byron right. had that same philosophy. This year, it's time to get off the couch and get back into the bedroom. Blue Chew can help. Guys, we know that confidence can take you far in life. And when you feel confident, you are at your best. 
especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. They always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? So if you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we got a special order deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code JBLGB. That's JBLGB at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. The bluechew.com promo code JBLGB to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. You know, you, you always have these guys, you know, just just try, but like you say, you, you try them and you resist just a little bit. You don't really have to do anything, but just to resist. Let them know. Yeah. And then, they, then they know. And they right. Yeah. You let them know. And that's, you know, don't, don't mess with me. And I don't, I'm here to do business, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's the way I. That's the thing, you you know, you had that mindset too. It's a business, you know, and once once you get that mindset as a college collegiate athlete, John, same way football, you know, you're you're it's a business. You get in there, you know, you're a top football player, but brother, this is a business, so you treat it as that. But right. you know, when 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 you left over there uh, and you you come back to the states, how how was your connection to the Carolina? Was that through Dick also, or what? Well, what happened is um, Dick took me up to um, Montreal for a few shows, and it was the winter, and the summer was their big territory. And back then, Dino Bravo, Gino Brito, Andre the Giant, and Frank Valois owned that Montreal territory. And I worked some shows there, and they, I don't know, I think Dick called and got me booked at the Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens. And that's when Crockett's used to send guys up and Johnny Weaver booked would stay there and do TV. So I did, I worked a a match with uh, Jesse Ventura and he put me over. I mean, I mean, I put him over in a minute and a half and he says to me before he says, kid, because he heard I was a wrestler. He says, this is a business now. Just, you know, and and I said, (laughs) I said, no, I'm all good. And so I, Weaver, he was, he was testing you in another way. He was testing <laughs> you <were> smart. <laughs> in a politician way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, uh, Johnny Weaver called me after I did that show and said, hey, kid, you want to come to Charlotte? And so I called Dick and I said, well, they asked me to go to Montreal in the summer. It was a summer territory. But Charlotte called and I said, should I go there? And he goes, yes, go there. And that's when Wahoo had just taken over the book and brought 
UN, Jake the Snake was there, um, Flair, Piper, Slaughter. I mean, it was like Morocco. It was like Steamboat, Youngblood. It was like, holy shit, this is, and I didn't know that, but it's, at the time, but looking back on it now, I was with all the Hall of Famers, you know, and it was a learning experience big time. And just, you know, Wahoo gave me my first break too. And, and they, Johnny Weaver took me back up Toronto and made me the TV champion up there. So I would stay after they ran that show in Toronto one, like once a month or once every five weeks and do a couple TVs, and I was like the Canadian television champion. So, and then I came, you know, when Wahoo took over, he left me off TV where I got more experience and then did an angle with Bad, bad Leroy Brown where I kept challenging him, kept challenging him, getting closer and closer. Finally, I went on TV and said, okay, I'm challenging you at the big show Christmas night in Charlotte. If I don't beat you, I won't challenge again, and I beat him. And it was like a you know, great angle. Uh, that's how easy it is, right? <laughs> to, to make somebody. Now it's like, I don't know what they think now, but <laughs> I mean, it was, it was great. Wahoo took care of me. You know, he was a man's man for sure. I loved him. Wasn't it Wahoo? I mean, and then what some great nights we had with Wahoo. Oh. I mean, uh, we would, John, we've had to scoop him up or scrape him up off of several floors. <laughs> Wahoo, was one, Wahoo was one of these guys that people that don't know him. That would drink until he fell down. Right. Until he passed out. I mean, it matter if he had there, you'd see him face, face down on a table, <laughs> or if you'd see him in a bar leaning up against a wall, that wall was holding him up pretty soon. He'd start staggering. He'd fall forward. He wouldn't even catch himself. He'd just fall and bust his head wide open, right? Back. Uh, <laughs> several I times got, I'll did. tell you this funny story. I was with Wahoo one night and I rode with him. We went to uh, some show down in uh, South Carolina, and then we went to we had, we were in Conway the next day. So we went to Myrtle Beach, and Wahoo was supposed to start playing a golf game, uh, golf tournament that morning. So he says, "You want to ride with me, kid?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll go." So he had a couple hotel rooms set up there, free the whole deal. So on the way over from whatever town, it was a couple hour ride, we're partying, boom, 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 boom. So we get to the hotel and he backs his Cadillac in and there's like a hill behind us and, and uh, with palmetto bushes all on that hill. So I get out of the car and I pull my bag out of the back seat and Wahoo pops the trunk. All of a sudden I hear this <laughs> and Wahoo took a step back and tripped and fell down the damn hill in the palmetto bushes. And I'm laughing my ass off. And Wahoo goes, boy, you better get your ass down here and help me out. You're going to get fired. <laughs> so, yeah, he was a trip, man. Yeah, Jerry, I'm so glad you always drink to moderation. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I mean, it's, it's uh, that native blood in us, you know. Wahoo, yeah. Wahoo, same tribe, Chickasaw Choctaw, as I was. Jack and Is I. he really? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I remember always, that. That always a coincidence. We'd rib Wahoo to death to about that. You know, have moved to Texas. He got kicked out of Oklahoma, you know, because it was too <laughs> wild. Had to go to that, that Midland, Texas, Midland, Odessa area down there. But Wahoo, I mean, what a man of his word. I mean, yeah, he, right, he, this guy coming, he tell you something. 
Yeah. David Booker, you could guarantee that Wahoo was going to get the job done, even if yeah. it cost Wahoo some political strife. I mean, he would he would keep his word. Hey, I remember they had just fired Ole Anderson as the Booker. And because when I went there, it was like Ole, was, it was his last week, and that territory was pretty much on its ass. And by two months later, summer hit, and everything was selling out. They, they were running three, four towns a night. Every spot show, the big towns. It was Wahoo was a uh, hell of a booker, I thought. Wahoo was able because of everybody knew Wahoo and everybody knew he was a man of his word. When he called like us, I mean, we were, yes, right. when do you want us up there? I mean, and Piper, all that list of Hall of Famers you went down. Uh, I mean, they were all there because uh, Wahoo called in favored for these guys. And we all flocked to Wahoo because we knew that we get to say, yeah. hot man, we're going to make some money. And exactly. Oh, what a place for, for a young rookie to go somewhere with all those veterans that you just mentioned in a territory that's working seven nights a week and twice on Saturday and Sunday. Right. So you're, you're going to be booked no matter what. If you were a breathing body, John, they booked you on, on those shows. Right. The territory was so massive. I mean, and you I mean, you never crossed each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. You worked your ass off, but it was, it was great, you know, because even at the time, you know, I didn't make a ton of money. I probably made like 60 grand a year, but what a learning experience, you know? I mean, like you said, you learn so quick because you're working 10, 12 matches a week by the time you do TV tapings and everything too. You know, it's, it's like that repetition where you even don't even have to think about it, you know? And, and then from there um, I was there like a year and a half and I guess Dusty called and said, we need a young baby face down here in Florida. So the Crockett sent me down there and that's where I tuned up with Barry Wyndham, you know, and, Ended up marrying his sister six months after we met. So things kind of worked out and, you know, in that aspect. But Barry was great, too. I mean, I learned a lot from Barry. As young as he was, he was pretty experienced, you know. And we just, Dusty would uh, go about five minutes and we'd go about 45 minutes every night in the tag <laughs> So, I never will forget. I never will forget Blackjack when uh, Barry got out of high school. I think he's seventeen. He came to Jack and I in Greensboro because we were, we were working back and forth from Charlotte to, to North Carolina. Blackjack, came, hey, my son graduated from high school. He's not going to college. He's a good football player. I wish he would, but he he wants he wants to get in the business. I'm gonna send him to Florida where you guys take care of him. Jack and I, <laughs> yeah, I will take care of him. <laughs> So well, he, just, he just gave them to Satan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he did to, to Satan, man. And we, we, we took care of him. Now we, we taught him, he taught, we taught him well enough until when Rotundo came here, he was able to pass that knowledge along to Mike. Yeah. We got knowledge. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was great fun though, because just, uh, we had a blast, man. And you know, it, that's when the business was fun. It was I remember driving with Barry. He, he always had fast cars, and yeah. we're going freaking ninety miles an hour in some BMW he had on a two-lane road in the middle of Florida, and we're seeing how many pairs of sunglasses we can still drive with <laughs> at night. <laughs> you know, at night, stuff like that. Yeah, was I mean, you around when he had the little red wagon at Dodge uh, Hemi truck? 
When when we buried it in the orange grove? No, I don't think so. I think I don't think, or you would have been what's his probably. <laughs> I probably would have got buried. <laughs> that's the one he stuck in the orange that. tree, right, Jerry? Yeah, that's one in orange tree, right up the street from my house. There, we were wow. coming you know, that, that gun highway, our Loose Lake Fern Road, it dips down right before it gets to gun highway. You, know, right. you just shoot off the damn Barry's <laughs> going, I don't know how fast, but he's going. I I remember that now, but I wasn't there. I remember he got banged up pretty good out of that. Didn't yeah. he? <laughs> and then later he rolled a Porsche with his brother Kendall in it. They got rolled a Porsche and lived through that. So he's got about nine lives. Of these years they were so damn big. They, they, they did get thrown out of that Porsche. Is what they yeah. said. Well, they just hugged each other and uh. the car rolled. And, <laughs> oh, we're alive. So, yeah, it's crazy. We were in Kansas City one time. I, I tagged with Barry for for a while, which right. I really enjoyed. And Barry was showing me how to set the emergency brake and, and spin the car. <laughs> so, I mean, you anybody, from Manny Fernandez down here. <laughs> how does anybody figure out how to do that? So we're, we're, it's like four or five o'clock in the morning. We are way overserved by the hotel. I'm driving a 4050. Barry's got his seat belt to kind of and set his seat back in case I roll the car. So. I hit the thing. I'm spinning, spinning, spinning. I go the other way. I'm spinning, spinning, spinning. Now I'm having fun. And so we look up and there's a cop with his lights on just looking at us. <laughs> and Barry goes up and goes, we had some problems with the emergency brake. It's all straightened out now, sir. Don't worry about it. Thank you. And we got in the car and left. The guy just sucked. I don't know what those guys are doing. I don't care. Right. Yeah. <laughs> John, I mean, how those days come about, I mean, and Mike can tell you, we're on Highway 60 you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning. The only guys out there are us and truck drivers and wrestlers, you know, and so, and that 60 is so long. You can play on that road a little bit. I mean, right. we're all flirting with death, but Manny for Danny's, I think Barry could have been in the back seat. We're going down the road about 70, 80, 90 mile an hour, and all of a sudden, my, uh, 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 Manny takes us, uh, kills us beer and reaches over in the middle. I'm driving this Toyota. And pulls a damn emergency thing. We just start spinning. We find I think that little Toyota is going to start flipping at any time. Wow! And then uh, and we come to a stop. Manny looks over. He wasn't that fun. I said no. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were the original drifters. How they drift the cars in Japan? Yeah. yeah. With, not on purpose though. Not on purpose. <laughs> I've yeah, done that a few times where I grew up in the snow coming around a turn and t -t 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 yeah. facing the other way when you're done and the cars are coming at you. So, <laughs> But I never did it on purpose. <laughs> well, Barry knew how to do it on purpose and teach somebody yeah. how to do it on purpose. Yeah, teach somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Barry liked to go fast. Like I remember those days for sure. Now he oh. drives a little slower. By now, you know that everything is crazy overseas and well, that's created some volatility in the market. We actually saw rates tick down a little bit this week. We don't know how long it'll stay that way. All the experts are predicting that there is going to be a rate hike this month in the month of March. Some are saying 25 basis points. Others are saying 50. What does that mean? It means waiting will cost you money. 
And by the way, I want to mention this is still a once in a lifetime opportunity, just based on your real estate values. You see all of a sudden your house is worth considerably more than it was just a couple of years ago. And as a result, you can use that newfound equity to change your life. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. And how can they afford to do that without their payments going sky high? We get rid of all their other debt. And I mean it as a heads up, what would you do? If you had no credit card debt, just like that, it was all paid off. How much easier would life be if those car payments, whoop, they're out of here. No more car payments. That is the story that we're able to help our friends and family with at SaveWithConrad.com. You see the interest you pay on your credit cards, not tax deductible and sky high. The interest you pay on your car loans, buddy, where's that going? What if we could restructure all of your debt? use some of this newfound equity and at the same time, get you out of debt faster. You see what we're talking about is reducing the time on your mortgage. Yes. We're going to get you a great rate, but if you're in a 30 year loan, think about what your life looks like 30 years from now, man, life gets a lot easier when you're completely debt free. And that's what we want to help you do. And by the way, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And oh, as a heads up, if you've been thinking, Hey man, I like my house, but my kitchen's kind of outdated. What if we could get you the cash you need to turn your average kitchen into something your wife loves and it wouldn't change your monthly payment at all. Why wouldn't you do that? You see, you'd be reinvesting back in your own property. That's going to make your house worth even more. And oh yeah, you can do it with cheaper monthly payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Now I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to go check out our reviews for yourself. See what some of our new family members are saying at ConradReviews.com. You'll see there we've got over a thousand verified reviews. Our average rating is 4.72. And if we were a restaurant with a thousand reviews and a 4.72 rating, I know where you're eating dinner and I know where you need to do your next loan. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's SaveWithConrad.com. Yeah, so you're down here in Florida and, and, and with Dusty, and you're, you're also under a great learning tree there with, with Dusty. So you're you're your first year, brother. You're 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 just surrounded by guy with knowledge, and and you're you're like a sponge. You're you're soaking it all in. You and Barry both, and all of a sudden, man, you guys are ready. So tell tell walk us through after, after Florida how you how you made the move up to the. Well, what, what happened is Dusty left Florida and went up to the Carolinas and, but we got up there, we moved everybody up there and we weren't making any money. And so George Scott was the booker for the WWE at the time, which was WWF. So I guess George or Mulligan talked to George Scott and we went from making, you know, 400 bucks a week to making five grand a week. So you can't really blame somebody for going there. And luckily, you know, I mean, when Barry first, I first went there, we were like this young, raring to go, you know, tag team and knock on wood, it got over. So, you know, it, it was exciting. And so that's basically how it worked out. You know, we went there and had an opportunity and we took it and ended up being in the first WrestleMania and stuff like that which was, you know, another great learning experience. Now I'm only in the business about, that was 19. I started at the end of 1981. Now it's the end of 84 and I'm in New York. And that was my original 
that's what buyer said. That's where you want to end up <laughs> is that New York territory, you know, because at the time it, it was like probably one, there was still good, like the Carolinas, the Ganyas out in uh, Minneapolis and then New York were the three big territories. And I mean, I don't know how I got there, but that was a quick run to get there, you know, three or four years into the business. So. I always like to share this story that you shared with me years ago. You know, nowadays, WrestleMania is built up into these two-week extravaganzas. I mean, every night of the two weeks, you're just busy as hell. And you know, Mike, right. you, you, John, you guys have worked both sides of the deal. And you know how busy you are. But uh, you told me the story about you and Barry flying up to WrestleMania the day of and working and actually catching a plane out after your match, a red eye back to Florida, being back to Florida. That, that yeah, that's exactly because that was the first time from when we started there, we had some time off. So we were in Florida. We flew up that morning, um, did WrestleMania. And then we, I actually, we went to somewhere up there. I was going to get my wife a dog um up there and like a bull i can't remember what we were looking at uh, an akita i think and i looked at the dogs and then we ran to the airport caught a flight home and i didn't get a dog but later i got our first dog which we named mania from uh jack and jan uh, you know had the rottweiler breeds down there and, and i got one of the puppies and we named her uh, mania i remember that yeah and that's the first of many rottweilers we've had probably like five or six of them now so but yeah mania was an awesome dog so yeah we went up went back because when we got back home we had some time off and we, barry and i rented a winnebago and his girlfriend one of his girlfriends went <laughs> with us what was that the, uh, hooter hooters girl lynn uh, whatever um or I a think, different one i think pam pam hey, Seals, that time. Like, <laughs> yeah. ended up marrying burt reynolds at some yeah. point <laughs> yeah yeah we went down and stayed in lake okeechobee and fished and had a great time so yeah but we it was like the only time we, they used to take a little break at wrestlemania time like a week before and a week after you know to give the guys a little now it's you're doing tv the next day and the getting ready for the next pay-per-view after that. There's no, you know, there was no breaks. So. John, you heard that story buried uh, uh, dating Burt Reynolds' girlfriend. And Burt Reynolds found out about it, and he was scared to death that Barry's going to beat the crap out of him. Jack and I used to have lunch with Steve Spurrier a lot, and Steve was the coach of the Bandits. And, and of course, uh, Burt Reynolds owned the damn Bandits. So during lunchtime, Spurrier would always laugh. He thought it was funny as hell. He always wanted to set up a, a, a kind of a lunch, a meeting where he brings uh, he brings uh, Burke to lunch and we bring Barry to lunch. <laughs> he all kind of set him up like that. And we, 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 we never did. But yeah, Spurrier was right. a shit disturber like that. And he, he was scared to death of uh, do you remember any of those stories back then? I mean, uh, they had uh, Malio down there and then Burke would be in Malio, Barry would come in. And Bert would go in the back. There was a special room in the back where a lot of uh, Mallory I thought, up I thought Barry, because he lived with Pam for like seven years. Yeah. I thought Barry was with Pam before Bert came along, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. So I think he was. I think Barry lit, and then they ended up breaking up. And then she ended up after that, probably through the Malio's connection, the restaurant there. Right. 
uh, of hooking up with Bert. And I think she actually, I think Pam got into the real estate business and, and ended up doing quite well with that and then lived with Bert and took care of him, you know, so because I guess his health got bad at some point and she was still there trying to help him. So I don't know. It was in the wild west down there, wasn't it? Yeah. I'll tell you a story though. One time we went, we used to come into Tampa and on over there by USF on Fletcher, there was this bar. It was kind of like a disco, but always packed with college kids. And, you know, so we'd get in town and we would um, go to that place. And it was me, Barry, and I think Denny Brown. So we're in the bar and we're looking around, we're partying, having fun. And I look over and there's, or Barry comes over and he goes, oh shit. And I'm like, what? He goes, Pam's here. And she was stalking him. So, <laughs> So we we get Danny Brown. We had to drag his ass out because he'd get in the tequila, throw him in the back seat of Barry's um, uh, what do you call it Bronco, one of those big old ones. Throw Danny in the back. Barry's looking over here, and I'm pushing Danny in. Pam, Barry's door is open, and we're right in front of the doors to the to the bar. And Pam goes bam, it punches Barry right in the face. <laughs> Barry gets out, grabs her, presses her, and there was a, a retention ditch right there before you got to the road. <laughs> Choked her in the, in the ditch. <laughs> in the Bronco and took off. I remember that. It was crazy. So, uh, yeah, they had some brawls, Barry and her, for sure. Barry was the hot young baby face, wasn't he? Oh, oh yeah, he yeah. women loved him, man. He was, I mean, he was like a babe magnet. He'd walk around and women would follow him. So yeah, that's the reason him. when Blackjacks asked Jack and I if we would take care of him. We looked at Barry. You damn right, we'll take care of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the girls like Barry for sure. He he was a good looking shit, six five, six six, slim. Always, always suntan too. Always yeah. out in that sun, man. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. When you first got in the business, you, well, you, they put you in the deep water pretty quick. With go to Germany, you're there, and all of a sudden, Dick Buyer leaves you. Did you enjoy the business right away? I did. I did because I was getting paid, and I go, you know, I grew up. I was at Syracuse five years, and I worked summer jobs for UPS for FedEx construction one summer. So that money was limited and, um, and as hard as football was and all the shit they put you through, I enjoyed wrestling more, but it was still hard. And then I'd have to do spring ball too. And it was year round. And then I'd work and work out in the summers and I'm going, God damn, I'm getting paid to do this. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's a 20 minute match and, and I'm used to doing two, three hours of practice every day and not getting paid. So yeah, I did enjoy it. And I had a lot of fun, you know, it was, it was go to different places and see different things, you know? I mean, I, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, you know, and, and to go and be able to go to different States and at first and then different countries, you know, all over the world, it was exciting, you know, and I enjoyed the business. It was hard at, at certain times different too once you got a family and stuff because you're gone a lot you know while your kids are growing up so it, it it gets a little harder but my wife um she's a, a excellent businesswoman 
first of all. And she just kind of understood the business a lot more. We'll be married coming up on our 38 year anniversary, you know, in October. So uh, knock on wood, been really lucky. And she's, she's still, she's known in our family as the one who gets shit done. Put it that way. So, yeah. Was there any awkward moments with uh, Blackjack? I mean, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that he was thinking, you know, she's dating one of the boys. Right. Yeah. That was a a taboo. That was a no no. Stay away from Mulligan's daughter. Stay away from Mulligan's daughter. So <laughs> and, it's finally, not like, and it's not like Mul- Mul- Mulligan is that exactly a calm individual. Right. But I was I was friends with Jack, you know, before I even met his daughter. I got along with him great. And so here's how it worked out. Finally, we started dating. So I called, I called Black Jack and said, Hey, Jack, do you mind if I date your daughter? Or no, I called him when I said. I called him and said, I want to marry your daughter. And he goes, are you sure? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm sure. And he goes, well, okay, but you better put a pay phone in. <laughs> so that's what he said. And uh, after that, we got married. So, yeah, it, I was skeptical, though, because I figured I might get my ass beat. Because <laughs> one, one swipe with his hands, like getting hit with a grizzly bear. So, And he, he swiped. He swiped quite a few guys with it too. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I got along with Jack and I respected him and, you know, and I don't know. I, my wife came to visit Barry. She had just started working as a flight attendant with uh, Delta Airlines. She was like 20 years old, 21 or 20. And six months later, she never went, she never went back once we met and stayed with Barry and we ended up getting married. So. Knock on wood, 38 years coming up. You know, if you had gone to Oklahoma, you wouldn't have to wouldn't have to worry about getting paid or going to class. In fact, you, you didn't even have to read. You can just go like to Oklahoma. That's Oklahoma University, correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's yeah. talk about something more important, Harry. When, 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 you're, when you got more to- important than Oklahoma, the, the whole in world. Oklahoma is- University, Oklahoma University, more important than that. OU. Okay, you're 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 in New York now. You're you you've hit it, and, and uh, you and Barry. I mean, Jack and I were there at the same time that you guys were there. Once right. again, we're 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 together, and uh, we're we're watching this. And you guys are just 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 going to the top, and just just like a damn firecracker rising to the sky. There, the the, the program that you guys work with with Nikolai and and Ashiker is kind of a kind of a, a a reference point in your career. That that had to be a ball. I mean, here's two guys that that were so over and had so much heat, and they, yeah. they get thrown to what John, as you know, what what you heels like white meat baby faces, and they were the two whitest meat baby faces that we had. And against the two two foreign heels, there that had to be a ball, man, because it had to be so easy. Yeah, it was it was awesome. They did like you said. They had so much heat. You could go out there, and I remember Morocco worked a tag match as a heel, and we had George Steele. And so they Nikolai went out, and they were singing the national anthem, and they threw so much shit in the ring. I think we we're in <laughs> Buffalo. There was there must have been a hundred raw eggs cracked from people throwing it in their cups. So Morocco, we worked the match and he comes back and he 
he tells the whoever the agent was, I forgot. He goes, I want hazard pay next time I have to work with those assholes. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was awesome. You know, we we probably worked with them every night for eight months. And I'll tell you a funny story. We we dropped the titles to Sheik and Volkoff. And so we go back on the road and the next thing it was like, I think might have been the WrestleMania. I think it was the WrestleMania. So we dropped them. So we go on the road after a few days and Nikolai is uh, on the, on the, the uh, apron and he's supposed to keep making saves like the third save, the ref's going to call the match and DQ him. Right. So I hit Sheik with something, cover him. Nikolai comes in, makes a save. Hit him with something else. Nikolai comes in, makes a save. This is the last one. I come with something. Boom. Cover him. Nikolai doesn't come in, make the save. The ref counts one, two, three. <laughs> so we get the titles back that we just dropped to him. And Nikolai comes back and, and what are you doing? And Sheik's cussing him out. So we had to, back then, you know, there was no, no like the social media and stuff. We handed the titles back. They were the champs again the next night. We went back out two days in a row. Same thing. We <laughs> did it again. So, yeah, it was it was entertaining for sure. And Sheik and Volkov were quite a quite a tandem themselves, you know, because Sheik was he could go back then, too, man. He was like a freaking gazelle coming at you. So. But yeah, it was it was uh, definitely interesting. Did you know how big WrestleMania was when it was coming up, and, and you were there at the time? Well, you you wouldn't have, couldn't have known that it would be so continuous, you know, uh, because like it was probably one of the biggest shows at the time, and you know had all the entertainment factor with all the people coming in, Cindy Lauper, all the stuff, um, and we knew it was going to be a big show, but. Nobody really knew that it would, you know, get even bigger and bigger and bigger as time went on. And, you know, it's kind of like the Super Bowl of, of pro wrestling. So, but yeah, we knew it was a big show. And just because of the fact that they had all these, you know, huge entertainment names involved and stuff in it too. So did, did but, you know that Vince had gone all in like he did? Cause it was story since then is that Vince uh, had mortgaged his house for that first WrestleMania. Did you guys know that Vince was mm -hmm. pushing everything to the middle of the table? on this? No, I don't think that was like public information at the time, you know, but I mean, it worked for him obviously. So. And yeah, Mike, he, Mike, you, you're on, uh, you had the honor, I think being on both shows, the Starcade first Starcade show and, and, and right. Correct. You was on that one too. I don't know, Gerald. <laughs> I think, I think, I think I don't, you don't know. They're all the same. But also WrestleMania, it's two of the first of big, big shows in our business. There, do you remember Starcade? How how it was set up and have the comparison to WrestleMania one and Starcade one? Yeah, I I honestly don't remember Starcade that much for some reason. So WrestleMania in my mind must have been bigger, and, and yeah. I also was on that. I, Barry and I worked uh, a show for that rock and wrestling with the Daganyas put on too, but it was like such a shitty payoff. We never went back after that, but <laughs> um, yeah, I had the opportunity to work on, and I'm sure Starcade was, you know, it was, a, I might even have been, had the uh, um, TV title at the time, to be honest with you. I don't remember though, you know, it was some guy sent me a book through Ted DiBiase 
and had uh, listed the, in this book. It's like a, I don't know, it's about that thick, but it has every match that I ever worked and who Holy won. Cow. Yeah, it's crazy. I said, I told Ted, this guy's freaking nuts. He goes, <laughs> I, I know. And all the guy wanted was a picture. And it was like 38 or 3,900 matches, something like oh. that. Oh, my and he's God. And he's got the date and the whole freaking deal in, of every match you ever had. So, I don't know. It, Even it including Germany matches? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know where you would even find this information. Right. But, you know, it, it was crazy. I, I texted Ted back because he goes, this guy wants your number. He's going to. So, and he did it for Ted too, the matches he had. And, uh, and finally, he sent me the book and just asked for an autograph picture. And I was like, I called Ted and said, This guy's crazy, man. <laughs> That's a lot of work. I don't a lot know how you would even do you know, it. You know what's amazing is, and it's not like it's CTE or too much booze or whatever else. It could be all that. But we, we, we've had thousands of matches. I, I've seen yeah. matches where if someone says, You wrestled so and so. And I know I didn't. And they showed me a, a video of it. And I don't know. No really recollection. Know. I no no recollection whatsoever. Yeah. You know, just when yeah, you're, I, when you're, you know, Detroit in the afternoon and Cleveland at night, yeah. and you're, the people say, "Hey, do you remember back 20 years ago when you're in Detroit?" No, no, I don't. No, I don't remember where I was yesterday. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I'd say so. But yeah, I, <laughs> it's so uh, people will talk to you, and you remember this man? I'm like, mm, sorry, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> right, and especially. And especially our entertainment afterward, you know, it was like, <laughs> you know, you're lucky you got any memory cells left. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> How do you do it, Mr. Briscoe? Because everybody that has ever rid with you says the same thing. How do I do what? Remember anything. <laughs> I, well, like what? I don't remember what the question you just asked me. <laughs> but, I, but I can remember. I don't know how, you know, I, 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 do, I do have a hell of a recall. I think for, man, almost 76 years old, I, I got pretty damn You do. You, do. Right you have very, very good recall. Uh, I can I can remember things about Mike, and I'm sure he don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. You know, a fun story, just and I'm, I'm going to digress here a whole lot and go into what what kind of kind of built Mike Rotundo as this Superman type guy. We're in Charlotte and we're working at uh, Charlotte Coliseum and we're with Wahoo and Piper and we're at, at that old uh, that old uh, uh, disco bar where we all used to hang out. On 2001. That, 2001 on, on Independence there. And uh and so Mike's got this big match. Probably his first big match in the territory the next day in the Charlotte Coliseum. So we're all we're all just we drank so much that that's when Wahoo passed out head first on on <laughs> on concrete. We had to scrape him up that night too. But Mike goes home to his apartment. His apartment has this uh, swimming pool, of course, because he's high 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 rent guy, and so they yeah. have this chain link <laughs> fence around the damn thing, so people can't get into it. So Mike decides, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, inebriated as hell, he wants to go for a swim. So he goes out, and and mind you, he just left the Briscoe brothers and Wahoo and Piper, so he's he's probably in no shape to go for a swim. But he decides he's going to hop over this fence. So he got on an old pair of gym shorts, uh, you know, baggy gym shorts. He goes to jump over this 
uh, this cyclone fencer, as he jumped over John, his scrotum catches the top of, of the fence. He rips his damn scrotum nearly off of his body. <laughs> so Mike, man, Mike just puts a towel around it, which is mice. I'll drive myself to the hospital. So he goes to the hospital. Mighty, it's Saturday night in Charlotte, North Carolina. That that hospital is just full of people in the same condition that Mike is in. So Mike, you know, got this town, it's blood red by the so Mike gets hungry. There's a restaurant, 24-hour restaurant right across the street that's open 24 hours. Yeah, it's the greatest pecan pie in the world. So Michael decides he wants a piece of pecan pie. So he takes his, his wrap, and which is now probably blood red, goes over and sits in his booth. He said, everybody clears out. I wanted to clear out. He said, they're looking at my sack. It's full of blood. You know? He waits, he eats his pie, he goes back over, he gets, he gets sewed up. So now the next day, Charlotte. So he shows up at the Coliseum and he, and he uh, when he could come here and he tells Jack and I what happened. Then he takes his takes his pants down and we he's swelling up like a damn orangutan. I mean, they're this big. I mean, a sack is this big. He said, "I'm gonna work." And, no, you're not. So we go get Jimmy, and I don't know what exactly happened after that between you and Jimmy, but this guy was actually going to work. What a tough song! He ripped I did his work. Sack off. <laughs> I work. did work. You did I work. Did. I did work. I think you went 20 minutes or something like that. Too. I don't know about that, but I remember <laughs> I worked. <laughs> so had you checked into the hospital and then went across to get the pecan pie or did you? Yeah. Yeah. I was just waiting and nothing was happening. So I left and finally came back when the crowd <laughs> submerged a little bit. So, <laughs> And you were by yourself. Yeah. And uh, I was actually living with, with Wally Kernoodle too. And when I got back, he, he, I, I told him what happened and I showed him. He goes, oh, damn, man, you ripped your dick off. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, those were tough days, man. How long was the drive to the hospital? Uh, probably, I don't know, 20 minutes. I had to live, <laughs> live downtown in Charlotte, somewhere down there. And what time of morning was the drive to the hospital? Oh, it had to be like probably four in the morning, I guess, <laughs> something like that. So you, what cleared that, you cleared that restaurant out when you went in there. <laughs> yeah, I, it was insanity. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know actually how I'm still here. I lived through the Briscoes and Piper and Orton and Jake the Snake and Morocco and Wahoo. Oh my God, I'm lucky to be here. Really. <laughs> Was, was you maybe, there? Maybe when, that's why I can't remember when somebody comes <laughs> and asks me, "Who'd you, you work think? on?" This? <laughs> <laughs> okay, who'd you work on? This? I I really had to get married and settle down because I knew I wasn't going to last if I didn't. So that's uh, that's the best thing that could happen to you and me. <laughs> yeah, because kind of calmed us down there. So what was you? Was you in the parking lot when Piper and George Scott, uh, uh, son, uh, Rick the Cadillac? Doing the, doing the circles, the donuts in the parking lot. No, I don't think I don't remember that's, that. That's good. Okay, well, good. You're you're probably down here at that time, there. But that was another crazy story with Piper and and Wahoo and, and all those guys. Were you with uh, Orton when he was uh, arrested for being naked in his hotel? No, but I can tell you a different story about <laughs> Orton and Piper. When I when Florida called 
um, I had two, my lease was up in my apartment. So I lived out at the or the Charlotte airport in this hotel for a couple of weeks and then finished my dates. And I was driving, you know, got a U-Haul to move to Florida. So Piper and Orton, I, they must've been working somewhere else at that point where they were coming in, just staying and doing the shows for, you know, Charlotte. So we're another night we're out after a show. It's rainy, foggy. It's like three in the morning. So they ride with me back to the hotel because we're all staying out there. So I, I had this old Chevy Nova, and I'm sure Jerry will knock it when he, I tell this story, <laughs> that I bought off my uncle's estate. He passed away. It had a three-speed on the column. So I'm driving, and we come to a T in the road. And back then, there wasn't much out at the Charlotte Airport. It was small. So we're going down this road. Here's the T in the road. And... I just like drive right through the tee and go boom on the grass down a hill. Now it's rainy and foggy and I'm spinning the wheels. Can't get out. So we're there. Here comes the cop. Just out of the blue, we see the lights. Now the cop goes over and he didn't see me drive off. So I guess he, you know, and we were obviously intoxicated. So the cops talk and Roddy goes, he starts talking and then disappears, walks up the hill. Now I'm talking to the cop and the cop said, I got to call you a tow truck and then you can pick your car up wherever they take it tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. We'll get you a cab. So I'm talking to the cop. Orton's in the car, spinning the shit out of the tires, trying to get the car out. So finally, here comes Piper down the hill, talking 100 miles an hour and it peed all over his jeans. <laughs> so the cops looking at me, Piper's talking hundred miles an hour, Orton's in the car, spinning the tires. And he goes, kid, I'm trying to give you a hell of a break, but you need to calm your friends down. <laughs> so he called us a cab and we got in a cab and I had to come back and get the, the car later. So yeah, it was, those are some wild days. A lot of fun though. When when Orton got shot with the uh, the, 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 the the stun stun stuff, you know, it sticks in. Right. Him. He pulled it out and he goes, "I'm taking more than this myself." Yeah, Bob was a character. Yeah, character. I remember we were in a bar in, in Richmond, and all the boys went there, and Flair was buying shots, and uh, Orton bought like trays trays of uh, beers. So Orton just gets, the, they bring the beer over, he brings a tray of beers over, and the, the bouncer comes over and says, hey, that's it, we're closing the bar. And uh, and he goes, well, I just, I just bought these beers. And he goes, hey, if you don't uh, cooperate, I'm going to have to get the bouncer. And Orton says, go ahead and get the fucking bouncer. I ain't no <laughs> basketball. <laughs> so... <laughs> we ended up drinking the beers before he left. So yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> I love Bob Orton. <laughs> oh, he's a he's a trip, brother. He's just yeah, the we, best. We had a lot of fun. Hell of a worker too, man. Oh, a tremendous worker. You know, he, yeah. he throws that, that that straight punch. Randy throws almost the same punch. Right. Yeah. Randy's a great worker too. Yeah, tremendous worker. Yeah. yeah. Just timing, you know, 
everything they do is there. There's a reason to it, and it, it means something. And that's how Bob worked too. So he, he got, had a good teacher. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about: protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for GoliathLife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit GoliathLife.com. And I mean right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their 40s this past year and a half, and I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it. Protect your family. And I suggest you go to GoliathLife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance super easy. Goliath Life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com. Did you enjoy being an agent all those years? A producer, no. whatever you want to call it? No. <laughs> I didn't I didn't either, Mike. I didn't either. I lasted about two months. <laughs> I can't believe I lasted 13 years at that. You know, I can't either. I can't either. It, it was I had to talk you off a ledge that first couple of years, just about every month, man. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's a stressful job, man. And you know when when everything went to live television, it even got more stressful because you could fix something on a tape if you had a tape and something went wrong. But once it got everything became live, it it just was a, a, an enormous amount of stress to do that job. It really was. You know, and you're trying to you're trying to do the best you can, but not everything's going to go right. <laughs> it's the wrestling business, you know. It's not like cookie cutter stuff. You know, it's like running a football play. You're going to run five plays, and maybe two of them are going to not work out. So, you know, shit's going to happen. It, it was very stressful, though. I, I coached one year in, in junior college, Trinity Valley Community College, and I coached offensive line. So we had a stud linebacker, and I tell him, I said, listen, if, if the linebacker comes in the A-gap, no matter what you do, you forget everything, he'll kill our quarterback, block down on the A-gap. I told the guard that every single day. First or second play of the game, the linebacker gets the A-gap, the guard blocks out, and he kills our freaking quarterback. And the coach looks at me and goes, the hell did you do all week? <laughs> yeah. That, that – that explains being an agent right there. Right. right there, yeah. <laughs> That's a great analogy Absolutely. right there. Yeah, it is for sure. Cause it's just, uh, you know, and some guys are easier to work with too. And some want to do their own thing and, and you will take the heat if they want to do their own thing, even though you told them not to, the, the blame falls on the producer and not the talent nine out of 10 times. So yeah, it was very stressful. But it also, you know, I, I mean, it gave me some another 13 years in the business 
on top of 23 years of working. So that was a pretty long career. So Yeah, Mike, I, I think part of your longevity was just your outlook for it and your relationship with the talent. You weren't one of those guys that going, you got to do this, you got to do this. You talked to the talent first and, and got their got their conception of the uh, of the match and how it should go because they're in a the ring doing it every night and you you know you right. get them you get them every once in a while but you always got their input first and then then you try really because I worked with you hand in hand a lot of that stuff so right. I, I will watch you and, and watch your evolution you became a, a very good producer after a while and but but you got that input and then you still had the the philosophy from the office that once the talent gave their input you you could kind of match right. it match it together and then present it to the talent and you get them buy it there but well you know you know as well as I Gerald that's how we worked in the business we didn't have guys coming to us and telling us the talent that was in that match, they worked out how this was going to play out. And now, you know, the young talent doesn't get a lot of that because they are told what to do, what they can, what they can't do. And that's the way I looked at it, which I did, because a lot of times talent has great ideas because they've sat there and thought about their, you know, their input, what their character is supposed to be doing how they want to do it. So, yeah, and that's the key to it. You just got to not be their boss, listen to them, and try to mesh everything so it works. And I agree with that. I appreciate you saying that, though, too. And a lot of that came about because you had regular audiences. You know, so, like, you know, when you're working in territory, you know, like, like you start off in Europe, you know, you wrestle the same people every single night. But then right. in territories, you wrestle the same people every Monday or same people every Wednesday. So you're having to have different matches with different people. When you go on the road now, you don't have to have different matches. You know, right. you're, you're in you know, one city, one city, one city, and you're not working as often, but you don't have to have that creativity because right. you don't have that regular crowd. To me, it's a, it's a huge disadvantage to the current guys because they aren't forced to be able to, to, to do that. Well, yeah, especially like, like the old territories, like Florida, seven days a week, you were in that, have to go back to that same town. And once you were in a program, you definitely had to change everything up or you'd be giving them the same movie week, week in, week out as you went there. So you, you were challenged to change things up and make it still, you know, within the boundary of who you're you're in that program with, but you have to also give them something new all the time or they're not going to buy it, come back and watch it, you know, week after week. And that really taught you, you know, you, you kind of got to think about what, what am I going to do next week once, or how do I leave it this week? So they want to come back, you know, it's like a break spot. You want to leave them with something where they want to come back next week, but it's an actual Instead of a break, there's a week in between it, you know. So that it, right. it was challenging. So, Mike, your most famous character, uh, the IRS character, came out of uh, Michael Wall Street first. H how did that Michael Wall Street character first come about? Well, I think it was at the time Michael Wall Street. Um, they did the movie Wall Street, right? Yeah. So Tony Schiavone came up with the idea of doing the Michael Wall Street. And so they put me with um, um, Dustin's old wife. She did the computer Perry, stuff. Terry Reynolds. Perry, yeah. So she did the computer stuff. And it was a, 
it was a good concept because <clears throat> the, the movie Wall Street was hot and I supposedly, you know, inherited this money. So I hired uh, a girl to do my statistics so I knew how to beat somebody. The problem was they, Jim heard at the time, they had sent me a notice they weren't renewing my contract. So Tony Schiavone came up with this idea and I did it in USA Today called me, wanted to do an article. I did Inside Edition. And back then they couldn't buy any promotion like that, you know? Yeah. And so I did it. I did the show and did the, the article. And so Jim Hurd sent me a thing. Oh, we're going to extend your con contract for six months. And I'm like, you're out of your friggin' mind. So I called Vince and that's when, you know, I, I went back um, into WWE because I, I knew what was going to happen in six months. They just start beating me and the character would be dead. And somehow they spun that off of the Wall Street character into being Erwin R. Scheister, also known as IRS. So, it, yeah, it, it was definitely my most known character because, you know, like I, I was did Mike Rotundo with Barry Windham like a couple of years. And, and then I did the Varsity Club, which I thought they cut short. They could have got a lot more mileage out of that. And then like IRS, I did like five or six years. So it was the longest run and then you know it worked well with ted and i because ted was the rich you know millionaire guy and i was a crooked tax man and it just <laughs> kind of just kind of meshed did you I, ever I, get I, you ever get audited i mean did, do you ever have I like have. a regular tax guy say this guy this guy played us on television we're gonna i get. have been audited one did, time in my life did, and it sucked did, <laughs> did the guy know who you were did now, anybody I don't bring so. it up to you? No, I don't think so. I, I ha I've had a lot of tax guys, though, come up and go, I really work for the IRS. I wish we could treat people like that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Call them That's up. great. So, yeah, I've had accountants and IRS. Guys. <laughs> oh, man, I love that character. I wish we could talk to people like that. Like, yeah, well, you can do worse. You can take all their freaking money. <laughs> That's right. You brought up the, the varsity club. To me, that that's a timeless, timeless gimmick. I think that would really go over even in today's society. But that the the, the athletes that was in the varsity club kind of made that to what it is there. And kind of kind of give us a, a overview of the varsity club. How that? Well, goes. yeah, it was a it was a great gimmick because people identify for instance, where they live and the colleges they live in, you know, in their hometowns. So as soon as you go on TV and say, my school, Syracuse University, is way better than your school, that's instant heat, you know. And then, I don't know, it kind of morphed in how how we got Kevin Sullivan, the devil, is our, <laughs> is our coach. I, I don't understand quite how he was that the booker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, it was, that's it, how you it was, got. Yeah, it was a pretty unique situation. And then Steiner, you know, I was supposed to be the the smarter one, the, the cockier one, which Steiner we kind of you know dumped on, and but it worked. And then Doc came in, and at one point Spivey later on, but yeah, it, it was it was a great gimmick because. You could go and talk shit about anybody's school. The mind's better. And I used to even do it to Steiner, which is instead of us being a team, I would tell him, you went to Michigan, you idiot. I went to Syracuse. <laughs> and Steiner would be like, 
you know, pissed off about it, but it, it was fun. We had a lot of fun. The only problem was Steiner probably hurt me more times than any opponent. Like if we were doing a spot where I was holding somebody and Steiner kick him, I'd have to go to the freaking hospital to get my neck looked at the next day. So. <laughs> tell me, tell me this, Michael, would you guys extend an invitation to the varsity club to Michael Cole? <laughs> another another Syracuse shooter. Yeah, another Syracuse. Yeah. Um, if we had a frat house, he would get dogged. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Did it set back recruiting any at Syracuse when Michael donned the Syracuse singlet for WrestleMania? Which they, he well, they, from, they, they dropped the program, now, John. They dropped the program. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I was going to say. Thank God they'd already dropped the wrestling program. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, guys like Jim Nance, Mike Rotondo, and Dick Byers, they looked at Michael Cohen, that singular, they probably <laughs> rolled over in their grave. <laughs> that was the greatest angle ever. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Cole's out there flexing in his in that Syracuse singlet. It was oh. so good. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, horrible. <laughs> I got hot because it was orange, you know, and everybody the hell no, that's Syracuse. <laughs> yeah, to this day, it was that old Texas burnt orange color. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> to this day, even if you're ribbing Jerry Lawler and say, you know, Cole beat you at WrestleMania, he goes, no, that was overturned. He, he will correct you every single time. <laughs> it's, it was like, an, then. <laughs> it's like it's like hawk and animal animals win loss record, right? <laughs> that, that, that's right. <laughs> that's right. All the great yeah. matches that Jerry Lawler had, and he gets stuck with an announcer who's never had a match at WrestleMania <laughs> for his debut. <laughs> Very interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> Always interesting. Words are about to be spoken, and the wrestling podcast world is about to be broken. Hey, I'm John Alba, co-host of The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, and I wanted to invite you to join the iconic Matt Hardy and I every single Friday as we take a peek inside the locked room that is one of pro wrestling's most creative minds. You'll hear stories spanning more than three decades in the industry, like this week, when Matt shared his recollections of getting a call from Vince McMahon before the Hardys made their shocking return at WrestleMania 33. Uh, hey, uh, Vince just wanted to, to buy shoes. Look, look, fuck. Make sure Jeff doesn't do anything fucking stupid and cripple himself tonight. I fucking, I know how he is. Fucking reel him in. All right? Doors, WrestleMania. Damn it. Yes, sir. I got it. It'll be good. I promise. All right? I think. All right. See you tomorrow. Hear stories like that and many more from the course of the Hardy Boys' incredible career every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and with early access exclusively on adfreeshows.com. So when when uh, after the varsity club, the one thing that people kind of lost in some of all this was NWO Japan. You were part of NWO Japan. That was huge. But people, yeah. I think it was a little bit lost to American fans because the NWO here was so big. But right. that was selling out arenas all over. Uh, yeah, that, Japan, right. I'll tell you what, I loved working for New Japan, man. They were awesome. They really took know how to take care of their talent, you know. And it just <clears throat> when I went back to WCW, of course, they beat me right away. Um, as soon as I got to the territory after I had a good run as IRS. So somebody in their office said, hey, you're going to Japan. And I was like, what? 
And I hadn't been working there, but like a month or so in back in WCW and said, we're sending you to Japan on this tour. And I knew Hattori and Hattori back then refereed and he also helped book the guy jeans. So I get over there and I said, Hey, Hattori, how many weeks a year can you give me? Cause they just started doing the NWO and they had NWO sting. And then like other guys would come over and do a tour here and there. So he goes, I don't know. He goes, maybe like 20 weeks. So I went back to the office and go, Hey, they want to use me. 20 weeks over here, I didn't have to go to WCW at all. No TVs, no house shows, no nothing. So I started going back and forth to Japan. And it was the greatest money I ever made because I'm only working 20 weeks a year. And I didn't have to work anywhere else. So when I'd come off a three-week tour, I'd have three weeks home, go back, back and forth. And like you said, I mean, it, it became hot where I think the New Japan was paying WCW like a million dollars a year to use the logo. We had Chono, you know, we were like the heel teams, uh, NWO Sting. They had Tenzan, Kojima, two great young guys coming up. And then Muda ran the Japanese side of it. So we would be in like eight man tags or six man tags. It was awesome. Once you learn how they did stuff over there, I mean, it was like, it was great. And like I said, they really, Tell they take you out to eat every night on a three-week tour. You have to finally go, no, man, I can't, I can't do this tonight. I gotta take some sleep, you know. And it was awesome. It was a great experience. And and I can see why like a Stan Hansen or Dick Byer loved working in Japan all those years, because once you got used to their style, it was great. So did you get paid through WCW when you were in Yeah, the- because what 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 uh, the, the New Japan would pay WCW like five grand a week, in my case, to use me over there. So they were kind of making their money back somewhat, you know, and so that's why they left me alone because they were recouping and then <clears throat> they would give you like spending money for how many days a year they give you like a hundred bucks. You never spend anything because they take you out all the time, you know? Right. But you'd come home with a little wad of cash for the the just the the money that they gave you for food and stuff and then yes wcw would send you a check at every two weeks because the reason i ask is some of those guys who are making so much money in japan would would get paid cash you know especially back you know back before that even yeah you have to give some of the money to some of the other guys to carry because you're going to carry you're only supposed to carry ten thousand dollars right right yeah no they they just gave us some food money uh, like a per diem uh and then WCW would send my check every two weeks through their office. So, yeah, I've, I've worked actually tours, like not for them at that time, but I've done a couple of tours here and there where they paid you cash because you were just working a tour for them. But under that circumstance, it was all WCW, you know, was leasing us out basically. But, yeah, they, they were doing great business, man. It was really hot in new Japan at that time, they were selling out, which I think kind of killed Baba's Baba's thing off, you know, because they were, they had such a good thing going with that NWO. That's where all the people were going. And, and Baba's off office just kept getting smaller and smaller until they ended up. I don't even know if they're still in business, but yeah, it it was good. Uh, Jim heard, I I never, I never met, Jim heard, but I heard so much about him. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. 
he created the tag team Ding Dong. I, 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 there's a video of it. I'm not making that up. Oh, How, I've never heard really good things about Jim Hurt. Uh, do you, he didn't I, have clue number one what to do anything about this business. Nothing. He, and that's, how, how involved was he? At, in the, was he really in? Was he one of those proactive guys where he was there all the time? Well, what? I think I think he he thought he was, but he had no concept of what the hell he was doing. I think he worked. He was a like a Pizza Hut executive at, right, before right. he did that job. So what the hell does that have to do with running a wrestling company? He didn't know. So whoever was talking to him. You know, uh, he just didn't really have a clue from what I saw. And I didn't try to hang around him because I didn't <laughs> like the guy. So, but, you know, it's like hiring, it's like hiring a, a tree service guy to build you a house. Where do I start? You know, it doesn't work that way. So, right. I don't know. It, that was a mistake. And I think it was like a buddy deal because he was buddies with somebody and, you know, got him in the door, but he pretty much ran that place down pretty good. So, you were uh, in WrestleMania one. You were in Starcade and uh, Rock and Wrestling. You're also a big part of the Attitude Era, the the Monday Night Wars. Did you think uh, that WCW was going to end up uh, winning? What did you think during that time? Did you think Vince was going to end up because of passing the guys? Do you think WCW had a chance? What were your thoughts in that time? Well, I I think that. You know, there was a lot of guys that came from Vince's stable that went there and it popped the territory. But longevity wise, you know, Vince was pretty, pretty smart. He knew a lot more about the business, I think, than than WCW trying to sustain that. And eventually Vince won, obviously. So, you know, and I don't that was a time that I was basically in Japan. So I missed a lot of that, you know, by not having to get involved in the States while that was going on, I would just do my little deal in, in uh, new Japan. And I was happy with that. So stuff kind of worked itself out. And it was, you're more part of the air to attitude era than myself because I was gone through that, you know? Yeah, it was a, it was an insane time. I, I didn't, you know what? Jack Lanza was there a lot. Uh, he was the agent during right. all the time during that run. And I remember Jack saying, we've lost them all before. The old man's always figured out a way to win. And right. that kind of calmed me down, you know, because, I, you know, we lost Brett and we lost uh, uh, Razor and, and Diesel. And I'm right. thinking, oh, oh, my God. We're Hogan. And, and Hogan, that's right. Ed, that's right, and Hogan. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, Luger shows up on their TV. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. You know, they're, they're yeah. doing everything big, and we're not. Yeah. And I remember well, when the family if, you're on, if you were on the lucky end of one of those contracts, it was good for the guys, you know, that went there. Unfortunately, I wasn't because right, right as I went there, I actually had uh, crushed a disc in my neck. So I missed, I, I went and had it operated on and I didn't even know if I could come back to work. So they talked about me being an agent, you know, a producer. And I said, well, they offered me and I said, well, hell. And then I went on a tour and I figured I could work again. And I, I worked like 10 weeks after I had this crushed disc replaced and got a fusion. So I worked the tour with Shawn Michaels over in Europe and I said, I can work again. 
and they will, and they tell me like Vince goes, well, you can do the angel job and we'll also have you work in some. And I'm going, and then they said the money and I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I'm doing two jobs for less than I was making work. <laughs> and I said, no, nah, I don't think that's going to work. So I went back. That was when I went back to WCW. So I, and it was crazy, but you know, I always tried to do, look out for the best times that I needed to be around my family and what worked best for us, as opposed to being the, the richest guy I could in the business that, you know, of staying one place and over wearing out my welcome. <laughs> so, you know, and of course you make mistakes along the way. I Maybe I would have made a lot more money if I'd stayed in one spot and just done whatever, but it's just how shit works out too. So, knock on wood i still got my family you know and right that and that's important to me so yeah and and your family uh what what did you think when uh, your two boys wanted to get into wrestling were you for it did you were you excited well, about it or were you against i it? didn't i didn't push them to get into it and i told them i said it's it's a hard business you know you're gonna have to go through a lot of shit and of course i think it's a natural thing with them their grandfather did it. Their uncles did it. Their dad did it. Is no matter what you try to tell them, they're going to try to go do it, you know. And they did, and and they were both successful, you know. Vince, I don't think gave my younger son Taylor a chance because Taylor is a hell of a worker. He really is. You can't teach that timing and stuff, you know. And Wyndham had a great a great gimmick. He got over because he could talk and. You know, it was a unique situation. So I'm proud of them both. And they're, they're definitely not maybe done. I don't know. They're kind of got their foot in going with a couple different things, trying to see what's available. So, you know, maybe you'll see them back. Maybe you won't. I don't know yet. But I don't want to speak for them either because I know they're trying, they're trying to reach out and get some different things going. And, sure. you know, well, they're, both young, they're both young and, and they're both very tough. Yeah. Yeah, uh, John. I was I was uh, I was doing volunteer coaching at at the time at a high school down there. Mike can tell you, and and uh, Mike Mike and his boys live in a county right north of me. But so you know, we wrestled a lot of the same teams. Every time I we would follow Brooksville into a city, like we go to Land of Lakes, wrestle Land of Lakes. When Brooksville was there the week before, I would hear a Rotundo story. <laughs> and, and it was it, it, you'd think it'd be uh Wendell Moore, but it Taylor, Taylor's name was brought up being crazy one more than more than Wendell. <laughs> and, and I watched both of these guys compete in uh <clears throat> in the high school wrestling in a state tournament. The intimidation factor when they would walk to the ring was was 90% of the match right then. You you'd see these guys uh looking all of a sudden they do a double take i drew who you know or something like that <laughs> but it was it was so cool we'd go in these seating meetings where we ranked the wrestler for the tournament we get to a rotundo well you know his dad was a world champion <laughs> yeah, i'm no kidding <laughs> i did know that and well what's that got to do with Wyndham or taylor you know well into the blood you know you you know yeah okay it's i do to back them up and say yeah they're number one seed so but to, but to talk around to those two, two two kids were they were stars in high school all over all over this this Bay Area here it was phenomenal. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> and they're two of the most respectful guys you know you've ever run across. You know they're so you know 
when you're one of the older guys, you're not treated as a contemporary. You're kind of treated as one of the older guys, and it's such respect that they show. It's it's really yeah, it's well, really cool to it's really cool to see. Randy Orton wife, is the same way, by the way. Really cool. My wife had a drumstick she used to carry in the front seat when they'd start fighting. <laughs> <laughs> so she kept them in line. Speaking of drumsticks. John, one of the, one of the coaches' favorite things at a tournament is the local hospitality rooms, and you kind of judge your what tournaments you. And Mike shaking his head on that. You kind of select the <laughs> tournaments that you go to based on the hospitality, not on the competition, but on the hospitality how how the coaches are treated in between sessions. Uh, Stephanie, Mike's wife, and 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 Rotundo's boys' mom. She, she was in charge of the booster club for wrestling. So she was in charge of setting up the hospitality room. So it was like WWE catering. Every time you go to Brooksville <laughs> high school and you go into that hospitality room, you had every, every type of home cooking meal that you could possibly want. I spent more time and gained more weight on that. Weekend every time we go to and that was a must. The Kiwanis tournament was a must tournament that we'd go to. Well, we definitely like to eat in the Rotunda family. So. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Hey, what happened to WWE Catering? You know, when we were back there, you know, you guys there before me, but when I got there in 95, it was like a, a chicken breast and a piece of bread. And and right. now it's lobster yeah. and steak. And it's yeah, we, unbelievable. Well, Mike, we, can, Mike can tell you the days when it was spaghetti and marinara sauce, and that was it. No, I remember we didn't have any catering back when we first started there. It was like you were lucky to get – I remember Shawn Michaels asking if we could get coffee made. <laughs> you know what we're at TV. Can we get some coffee? Because everybody used to bring like Subway sandwiches. There was no catering. That was it. And when you went on the road, like uh, I think I did like like 16 or 18 European tours between 90 and 95 in that era. And we, we used to do three-week tours over there because they taped the TVs every three weeks. We didn't have catering at the hotel when you got there. Whatever food they did at catering, you would get a to-go container and maybe put a couple chicken breasts or whatever they had, you know, to make a sandwich once you got back to the shitty hotel you were at. Not a, not <laughs> a Hyatt, you know, with catering. And it. It's, it was a different era for sure. These guys, <laughs> these guys don't know what they got. So. <laughs> exactly. Do you, do you ever see Barry? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually went fishing with Barry a couple of weeks ago and I'm trying to get, um, once it calms down, it's been so windy here. He goes fishing with me and I think him and I got a sign and coming up. He only lives like, uh, shit, less than half a mile away. Cause, uh, they moved out here after blackjack passed away. So his mom's out this area too. So my wife can, you know, help her out cause she's getting older now too. So. Yeah, I see him. He's doing all right, and he's doing well. I, I just, I just always thought the world of Barry. He was, he was so, he just, he's one of those cool dudes who, who just yeah. knew about everything. You know, he knew about cars. He knew about everything. Yeah. Well, help yeah. us out on this, Mike. He's been dodging us all the time. He says, "Sure, sure." Then trying to get a hold of him, but trying to get, trying to like get a hold of him further. That sometimes, yeah. He's you want to, you want to do one of these. Yeah, you bet we do. We were right. begging it. Every time John and I see him on the road during one of these autographs, oh, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Just call me. And I've, you know, I've reached out to him a hundred times. 
Well, I'll try to I'll try to give him a hint. No way he's a hermit, man. <laughs> yeah. Every once every once in a while, Mike will send me a text and I'll answer him right away. And then it's like three months before he sends me another one. Right. <laughs> well, Mike, we sure appreciate you giving up your time. I know you're busy. Where where can the folks reach you, y'all, if they want to get a hold of him, book book an IRS from Mike Rotundo and one of these uh, autograph deals. Um, I'm working on getting a website with uh Ted DiBiase's son, Teddy, um, is they're trying to build me a website and stuff. So I don't have anything as of now. I do quite a through quite a few bookings through Tony Hunter, but I don't even know what the name of his wrestling company is. So I, I don't know, other than giving my number out. I we'll reach out to Briscoe or to Bradshaw to show okay. and we'll, we'll get the message yep, to we'll, you. We'll get the message to you. All right, cool. I appreciate you guys, man, and this was fun. Hey, Mike, thank you so much. It's always been such a pleasure to be around you. And, uh, Thanks, man. It's, 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 when Jerry said you were going to come on the show, I was so excited. I thought this, this is going to be really good. Well, I appreciate and, and it has been. Yeah, it's awesome, man. I enjoyed the reminiscing of stuff. You know, it's cool to talk to people and, and you know, that have gone through the same kind of stuff as you have over your career and, the understanding that you have and the appreciation for all the boys, you know, that helped you along the way, that's important. So, and you continue to help people. So that's cool, man. You've always been like a little brother. I've known you for forever and ever and ever, you know, we, we, we become really close friends and I, I'm yeah. proud of that friendship and I'm proud of the, the man that you become. And, uh, Folks, uh, you know, you, you pass through this business. You're, you're lucky if, if you meet a couple of uh, good people that, that, that you keep for lifelong friends. And, and you know, Micah, you've been, you've been one of them. You, you, you've helped me out in, in times of, of sorrow and all that stuff. And, man, well, what a great family you produce and what a great family you come from. And your, your in-laws are, 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 are legends in this business, man. It's been such a great pleasure to reminisce with you again, man. It's great to see you. Thanks, Gerald. I appreciate you, man. Thank you.